Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest and newest lecture on CT of renal angiomyolipoma, Diagnosis and Management. And what I'd like to do in this talk is speak with you about renal angiomyolipomas, take a look at some of the facts about them, some of the newer things that are being discussed, and look at perhaps how we manage them. So just some things you know, renal angiomyolipomas are the most common benign tumor of the kidney, up to a 3% prevalence worldwide. It's most commonly in females. It's a neoplasm composed of this morphic tortuous vascular tissue, smooth muscle and fat. They may be associated with tuberous sclerosis or pulmonary lymphangiomyomatosis, or may occur sporadically. And most of the cases we see are in fact sporadic. There's no histologic difference between sporadic and tuberous sclerosis-associated AMLs. One of the challenges with AMLs, they're benign lesions. They never have a malignant potential, but they're prone to aneurysm formation and rupture. Most of the cases we see are incidental findings, and at times they can be confused with other tumors. One of the important things about AML is, and I'll show you many examples, it's very easy to diagnose when it's all fat or mostly fat, but there's often AMLs that are fat poor that may have only the most minimal fat, and those are the ones that are often are overlooked, and those patients end up with surgery. Uh, this article by Jinzaki, AML is the most common benign solid renal neoplasm in practice, once thought to be a hamartoma, and uh, almost always composed of fat. They're now consistent with a heterogeneous group of different tumors. But again, all of these are going to be benign. But sometimes, as this article mentions, sometimes escape a preoperative diagnosis because there just is no fat within the lesion. Um, we talk about uh, the fact that the tumor is composed of the three elements. But again, the variability in the elements, if you only have smooth muscle or mainly smooth muscle, it can look like a solid tumor and simulate a papillary renal cell carcinoma. Again, most of the time, it's not a difficult diagnosis if you're careful, but it can be somewhat challenging. And this article by Jinzaki also makes the point that the majority are going to be sporadic in the fourth to sixth decade of life with a high female predominance. In this article, the authors also talk about the appearance on CT, region of interest less than minus 10 Hounsfield units are always going to be fat. Uh, most of the time we have an AML and you put a cursor in, it's probably closer to minus 50 to minus 70 but under minus 10 are going to be fat. And again, you could say, well, is it possible to see fat in a tumor that's not an AML? Uh, reports of renal cell carcinoma or occasionally Wilms tumors with fat have been noted, but invariably those are very large aggressive tumors which invade the perirenal fat. And it's not so much fat in the tumor as fat in continuity with the tumor. Uh, there is a question, what about a liposarcoma? I think I showed cases of um, myelolipomas of the adrenal, and sometimes it's very large, retroperitoneum, and could you confuse it with a liposarcoma? Occasionally it can, but AML of the kidney and liposarcomas is more a theoretical process, but it's typically not going to be really that much of a problem. Uh, that article by Jinzaki also makes the point angiomyolipoma with minimal fat is something 
that we're really thinking more about these days. But again, it's something that probably uh, is something that's easy, easy to overlook. And again, this triphasic nature of the tumors, and I won't go through that again, but again, making the point uh, about the, what could be a difficult, difficult diagnosis. And that's one of the reasons we're having a special talk on it. Now, I mentioned most cases of AMLs are gonna be sporadic. If you have tuberous sclerosis, up to 75% of patients will have uh, angiomyelipomas. And what's interesting is that at a younger age, often multiple, often bilateral, or almost always bilateral, but also it occurs in men as well as women. Sporadic AMLs are almost always gonna be middle-aged women, age 40 to 60. This article by Umadun, angiomyelipomas associated with tuberous sclerosis grow more rapidly, bleed more frequently, are more likely to involve both kidneys compared to the sporadic form. And that indeed becomes very important at a younger age. If you see multiple AMLs, you better think about tuberous sclerosis if the diagnosis was not made. We also talk about lymphangiomyelitosis, we see cystic destructive lesions in the lung. That's typically how we think about the t that uh, disease process. They also can lead to pneumothoraces, chylus pleural effusions, and respiratory failure. The thing about LAM is that it also is associated with renal angiomyelipomas. So renal angiomyelipomas, tuberous sclerosis most commonly on the hereditary side, and LAM would be another possibility. And I mentioned a moment ago that although we think about angiomyelipoma, and we should as the lesion when you see fat, renal cell wilms and teratomas have all been reported, but I really don't think it's a typical problem to us on a daily basis. Now, when you talk about some of the complications of AML, I mentioned whether it's sporadic or it's part of a syndrome, there's never, it's never considered a premalignant. You're not gonna develop a renal cell carcinoma. The key problems are gonna be hemorrhage, spontaneous hemorrhage, up to 20% of cases. Um, it's more likely to bleed in patients with tuberous sclerosis than a sporadic. Um, in terms of risk, AMLs over 4CM have a higher risk of bleeding Size greater than 4CM approaches 100% sensitivity and 40% specificity to predict rupture. Uh, now, again, we said that the uh, lesions that occur in patients with tuberous sclerosis are more aggressive, and so those are the ones we treat at 3CM while the sporadic is 4CM. Aneurysms over five millimeters are more predictive from rupture than tumor size. So again, you wanna look at the aneurysms. It should also be noted there's an increased risk of bleeding uh, patients who are pregnant or containing estrogen containing contraceptive medication. So that's something also good to keep in mind. Now, in terms of how do you manage hemorrhage from angiomyelipoma, and I'll speak about management a bit in a few moments, but the typical first line treatment is going to be renal artery embolization. Sometimes patients require a repeat embolization, but typically patients will do well. Um, and it is often the treatment of choice in other patients, even not the acute setting. It's been somewhat clear, and again, I'll go through that in a few moments, that the old idea about nephrectomies is obviously something you shouldn't do. 
the question is partial nephrectomy versus embolization. And that'll depend on the patient as well as the lesion. Now, just to make the point, I was reading an article just about uh, looking at clear cell renal cell carcinomas and FAF-poor angiomyelipomas. And in this article, they did make the point that you should be able to, based on numbers, separate the various lesions. Here's a chart, attenuation by histologic subtype. And you can see that if you look at the non-contrast, chromophobe, fat, poor, papillary, and clear cell all seem to make about the same numbers. On excretory phase, fat, poor are a bit higher. On the cortical medullary phase, you can see it's difficult. It sits somewhere between your typical papillary, which is around 60, and clear cell, which is 140. But again, I have to admit, if I see 100, I'm not going to say AML just on, based on seeing 100 Hounsfield units. I see many papillaries that are going to be 90 to 100. So I'm a little bit concerned about using those numbers. Um, again, this whole idea about syndromic versus incidental become very, very important. And people have used that also with texture analysis to figure out is something an AML or is it an RCC based on non-contrast scans. And this, uh, and they've had some success doing that. Now, there was an article by Sheeta, 10 Uncommon Unusual Variants of Renal Angiomyelipoma. Uh, again, you know, the, the big challenge is this article was speaking about can you always separate things from renal cell carcinomas? I think always is a big word. Uh, it can be difficult at times, but I think when you start looking at the art, when you start looking at the images, I don't think it's that difficult. Surely in the sporadic cases, um, it depends how much fat there's present. In the patient with tuberous sclerosis, lesions are multiple and truly contain more fat. So it's something to consider. Now, not every patient with tuberous sclerosis has AML. They also can have renal cysts, and it very much depends on the specific uh, genetic defect the patient has. Now, when you ask me about angiomyelipomas in terms of management, this was an article focusing on tuberous sclerosis, but it did make the point that's always true. Most patients are, are asymptomatic. Others get flank pain, hematuria, hemorrhage, a tender mass. Uh, renal angiomyelipomas are the second most common cause of morbidity and mortality in patients with tuberous sclerosis. So you can see in that population, it's particularly important to screen these patients with CT, with ultrasound, and then to manage these patients aggressively. And as we said, uh, we will uh, usually treat the patients with smaller tumors because they're more prone to develop complications. Um, the idea, incidence of renal cell among patients with tuberous sclerosis is similar to that of the general population. So again, um, it's really not going to be an issue. It's more of a theoretical problem. Tuberous sclerosis-associated renal cells are predominantly clear cell, but papillary and chromophobe have been reported. So it's going to be uh, uncommon for those patients to develop renal cell carcinoma. There's nothing really specific. Now let me just comment about tuberous sclerosis. Uh, there's a number of articles about hereditary renal cell carcinoma. Remember, tuberous sclerosis, there's neurologic findings, there's ocular findings, there's dermatologic findings, in addition to the kidney findings. And that angiomyelipomas were the, are the most common in distinguishing renal lesions and tuberous sclerosis 
up to 80% of cases, multiple, bilateral. You can also get cysts, occasionally you get tumors, but the main lesion is going to be these angiomyolipomas. So it indeed becomes a very, very important diagnosis. Now, when we look at um, screening of patients with hereditary cancer syndromes, again, you really have to know what you're thinking about, what you're looking for, and doing multiphase acquisition becomes important in lesion detection as well as lesion classification. And I'll leave it at that. Let's then look at some cases. Now, I think if you're careful, you can often make the diagnosis of AML, non-contrast CT. You look at this lesion, lateral portion left kidney, there's a lesion present. It looks low density, but how low density is it? You put a cursor in there, it's minus 71. Nothing else can do that. That's an AML. Here it is with contrast, early phase. See there's two dots in there, and if you measure the dot, it measures minus 75. That's an angiomyolipoma. There's no need to do a partial nephrectomy in this patient, which was the thing that was going to be done. That is morbidity and mortality. This is a benign lesion. It's too small to worry about. It's not going to bleed. And again, the fact you can see it non-contrast, the fact you can see it on delayed phase imaging on your right, if you have multi-phase acquisition, you have three chances to make the right diagnosis. All you need to do is see it once. And we've been doing some work with cinematic trying to accentuate that. And you can see it here reasonably well, but I think you can go back to the axials to make the diagnosis. Now I spoke how many AMLs of fat poor, mass left kidney. How do I know it's not a papillary renal cell carcinoma? Maybe chromophobe. If you look really hard, you can see a dot, which you look at that dot and you put a cursor, it measures about minus 80 Hounsfield units. There it is. You see a non-contrast also. I can circle it for you. That's minus 70 to minus 80 Hounsfield units. That's an angiomyolipoma. Even though there's the most minimal fat in that lesion, that is a fat-poor AML. That's not going to be a tumor with a focus of fat. That's not going to be the case. And you can see it in this patient as well, very nicely shown in the coronal view. And then here on the 3D mapping, you can see uh, the areas of vascular blush, the vascular malformations which you can see here as well, and there. And again, you can make the diagnosis. So it's a very important diagnosis to be able to make. Again, it means the patient's lesion can be treated conservatively in most cases, and surely if it's operated, you do a partial. You're not, you don't want to confuse this with a renal cell and have the patient go to surgery when it's not necessary. And here's just a few more late venous phase examples and excretory phase, showing you very nicely the fat. It's small, it's minimum, there it is coronal, but it's there. So this AML with fat poor AML is one of the important diagnoses. You could be a superhero as a radiologist if you can make that diagnosis because you're really going to change the patient's management. And I'm just running through the images again with you. Just look carefully how subtle that finding is and look carefully how it is that you can make the diagnosis because if you look careful enough, you put the cursor there, you'll be able to make the diagnosis. Now, many angiomyolipomas like this one, this is sporadic. It's easy, there's a mass, it's low density. Most of the mass is fat. You can see it on the non-contrast coronal views. So from the diagnostic perspective, 
AML can easily be diagnosed on the non-contrast scans. The thing that contrast helps, particularly early phase imaging, is looking for aneurysms, looking for the size of the aneurysms, looking for AV shunting, looking for factors that will predict risk. Here's the patient axial and coronal. This is over four centimeters. This is a patient these days with criteria will typically be treated though. Again, uh, you don't need to if the patient's easily managed. You don't need to do anything most likely. And here it is at, on the excretory phase imaging. Again, easy to diagnose on all phases. Another example, we talk about an AML that's 100% fat. This is an example. It looks like a wedge out of the lower pole of the left kidney, but then you look at the haziness around it, that's simply going to be the large angiomyolipoma. There it is again axially, and then here it is sagittally, and here it is with 3D imaging. Again, you could say liposarcoma, well, not really in this case, but you can say, how do I know it's just not fat adjacent to the kidney? Maybe it's fat abutting rather than involving the kidney. But when you look at the 3D images, you look at all of the images, you look at the coronals, the sagittals, the reconstructions, it becomes clear that there's a fatty mass hanging off the kidney. Now, this lesion based on size and some of the vascularity would probably be resected because um, you would want to prevent this from going on. This was growing and you would hate to uh, have this rupture and you can see it very nicely there. Now I mentioned these can rupture. Here's a nice example. The larger AMLs, the more likely they are the rupture. The larger the vascular components, the vascular malformations, the more likely they are to rupture. Here's a beautiful case, large fatty tumor. You can see the blood around the kidney. Here's some uh, later phase images. Again, uh, look at the blood, look at the uh, active bleeding from the left kidney, the peri and pararenal space involvement. There it is very nicely shown. You can see there was a, uh, the, the patient's aneurysm. That blood is nicely shown centrally by the left kidney. And here it is with MIP imaging. So you can see active bleeding in this patient with, with um, spontaneous AML, a very large AML. Again, people would say five, now they say four CM, you need to do something about the lesion. This was well over 10, so it was a lesion whose time had come. But again, as I show you the MIP imaging, look at the big fatty component of the tumor, look how there's blood intertwined within the fatty component, and how there's blood in the peri and pararenal space. Now, when you look at renal spontaneous renal bleeding, it can be due to other tumors, renal cell carcinoma, but you gotta think AML. It can be due to hemodialysis, atherosclerosis, arteritis, medications like uh, um, Coumadin, but again, you really have to think about AML. This article by Zhang, the most common cause of spontaneous perirenal hemorrhage is renal neoplasm, and about half are malignant. CT is the method of choice for evaluation of perirenal hemorrhage. But again, you gotta think AML. Now one challenge with AML sometimes is when the lesions bleed, it wipes out the fat. You just don't visualize the fat. So it can be somewhat challenging. Just a couple conclusions, a couple recent articles. This is the management of renal angiomyolipoma, Journal of Urology. This is uh, 2016, so it's the latest guidelines. Appropriate selected cases of AML can be managed by active surveillance. For those requiring treatment, nephron-sparing approaches, including partial nephrectomy or embolization, are preferred. 
For those with tuberous sclerosis complex, mTOR inhibitors may become an important management tool. Now, sometimes people ask, what size should you intervene? It used to be considered 5CM, then 4CM, but again, people will argue because in this article and in the uh, urology uh, update, the 67% of symptomatic patients and 66% with tumors larger than 4CM can be maintained. So really, you don't necessarily need to operate on that patient. The question is, how do you manage it? And again, it's an individual patient. If they're experiencing symptoms, anxiety, uh, if the vascular components are large, perhaps at 4CM you should operate. But if you're operating, do nephron-sparing surgery, partial nephrectomy works well. Some people have used embolization, that works well. So again, it becomes a very important management decision. So that's kind of covering AML. We spoke about spontaneous. We spoke about hereditary. We spoke about the difficulty at times of diagnosis. We spoke about the difficulty in terms of management. And we left you for some thoughts about making certain you find every AML and you don't send patients for surgery who have fat poor AMLs. And with that, I thank you very much for your attention. Bye.